Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Thank you, Jessica, Randy, and the team. That was beautiful. There was a chapter in my wife and I's life a number of years ago where we had to travel by plane very often. Uh, we were living and working on the West Coast, and we were doing a startup for a new church, and we had to raise funds, we had to build a team out, and we were just going through any open door uh, that God brought our way to the point that Novi, who was our only daughter at the time, by the time she was two years old, she had been on over 50 flights. Then as she kept getting older and we kept having more kids, we eventually started having to shift uh, the whole family going. So we, we couldn't all go. And once you're, two, once you're over two, you have to pay for a seat for the child and things start to change a little bit. So we started to experiencing the new version of travel where we would be separated. Sometimes I would have to travel and she'd be home with the kids. Sometimes my wife and our three daughters, and this was pre-Clay, our son, uh, traveled without me to go see family for a few weeks at a time. And thus began the beginning of us having airport reunions. So that's when you've been gone from each other for a while, and whoever is returning home, usually the, the one there makes a sign and welcomes you at the airport, and we started to experience the, the joy of the restoration of our in-person relationships, the togetherness as a family, and it was a lot of fun. In fact, I have a picture here of one such moment. This is a few years ago. You see the three girls there and Jess, and you see how much luggage? I just want you to feel my pain for a second. Do you see that pile of suitcases right there? It sounds like I'm calling out my wife right now. They were gone for a long time. It, it, it takes a lot to travel and, and bring all the kids, but I, I'm counting like large suitcases. I'm counting one, two, three, four, five at least for this. I, what, do you remember how long this trip was? It was three weeks. It was a long trip, granted. Oh, okay, she wins. She flew both ways by herself with all three kids. Nonetheless, sweet picture. And now, uh, honey, I love you. Thank you for... <laughs> I had it worse than that as a kid because my dad was a military chaplain. He would sometimes go on six-month deployments. I have a really strong memory out of Norfolk, Virginia. He was deployed on, he was on a ship of going there as a little kid early one morning and it was pouring rain and me and my little brother and little sister knew we were saying goodbye to dad for six months. Thankfully, he didn't have to do a lot of those trips, but when he would return from a six-month trip or a three-month trip, that was a, a giant restoration of in-person relationships and it was so exciting. I have a friend right now who's going through some challenging family dynamics due to some serious failure, but thankfully they're starting to see some restoration in the family. A couple weeks ago, I shared a message as we were studying the life of Peter called Facing Failure, and it was about Peter's failure. And today is the next part of that when we are looking at the joy of restoration. A pastor I know received an email recently from someone who had failed, and we got permission for me to share this here without the name. This was an email. Although I know what the word of God says about forgiveness, I don't feel forgiven. Will I ever feel forgiven, or is it a matter of faith in that I just have to believe I am forgiven? I know that people will never forgive me and will always remind me or be reminded of what I did, but I need to know that God has forgiven me has not taken his hand off of me or my life, and that he still has a purpose for me to fulfill in his kingdom. And this one line at the end is especially heartbreaking as he writes this to his pastor. I will understand if you would rather I attended somewhere else. 
We pastors hear things like that often, and you might be wondering the same thing, perhaps even right now. You messed up, it was serious, the failure cost you a lot, and you end up wondering, is there hope? Can I be restored? Can I even still be a part of this church? Over the years, I've seen a lot of destruction over sin and failure in devastated marriages and families and careers and churches and futures because failure is painful, but restoration is joyful. Today, in Lessons of the Life of Peter, we're looking at the joy of restoration. Specifically, we're going to look at Peter's restoration. Just to catch you up on the context, we've been in it for a number of weeks. Peter was just an average fisherman who was invited to follow Jesus. He left everything and followed. He got to be close up to the ministry of Jesus, creating history that we still study today that changed the world forever for three years, saw the miracles, lived out the stories. His heart burned within him for the reality of the kingdom of God as he followed Jesus. And eventually, he realized that this Jesus was not just a great prophet, not just a great man, but he was the son of the living God. He was the Christ. And Peter confessed that he was the Christ. And then towards the end of their three years together, Jesus told Peter, Peter, you're gonna deny me three times. And Peter emphatically said, no, I will die for you, Jesus. I will never deny you. Then Jesus was arrested and crucified. And when Peter was pressed three different times, he loudly and boldly denied Jesus, so he failed. And we pick up at the end of that story, just by way of reminder, at the end of Luke chapter 22 in verse 60, just as Jesus was speaking, the rooster crowed, and then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. Peter went from I'll die with you to I don't even know you. And he did what most of us do in the face of extreme failure. He went outside and wept bitterly. And to understand, even in a deeper sense, how disappointed Peter must have been, let's backtrack to something Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16. I tell you that you are Peter, Jesus said, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So Peter, an average fisherman, was called the rock upon which the church would be built, was now alone, bitterly weeping. He went from commitment to abandonment and from follower to failure. If you have ever tasted this kind of failure, you're not alone. And then we fast forward into John chapter 21. This is the primary text we're looking at today. So this is after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. Peter, the failure, is hanging out with the other disciples, fishing. And a guy from the shore calls out to the guys on the boat and says, friends, have you caught anything? And the disciples on the boat said, no, we haven't caught anything. And the guy at shore says, throw your net on the other side. So they listen and throw it on the other side. And they catch an abundance of fish. And in that moment, they realize it's Jesus. And Peter, in true Peter form, immediately dives into the water and swims to the shore towards Jesus. And it's amazing to realize that in that encounter with Jesus, the very first thing Jesus says to Peter, before Peter even knew it was Jesus calling him, was friend. And I find it incredibly profound that sometimes in the moments that we feel the most disconnected from God, at times when we feel like we've let others down the most. You know how terrible it feels 
when your mistakes hurt others? You know how terrible it feels when that is compounded by your own shame around what you've done? And in the middle of that, Jesus calls out from the shore and starts with friend. And then what he says is amazing. Jesus said to them in verse 10, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, if you study scripture, gathering around the table and breaking bread together is representative of relationship. So despite your failure, despite Peter's failure, Jesus is the restorer of your relationship with him. Think of how profound it is. He calls you friend and he says, hey, come, let's have a meal with me. We sometimes don't realize how hospitable the heart of God is. He is the, he is the master host welcoming us in even when we're living as enemies. They ate together around the fire, Jesus and the disciples as they had done, as they had done so many times and then picking up in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Now, important note, lambs and sheep are representative of the people of God, the beloved of God. So right off the bat, Jesus is saying, friend, inviting him into relationship, and then reminding Peter, my purpose is still upon your life. Feed my sheep. Despite your failure, Jesus is the restorer of his purpose for your life. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? You know, when someone asks you the same question essentially three times in a row, starts to get a little offensive, like, uh, I told you I love you, and that happened to Peter. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I think, and scholars agree, that Jesus asked the same question three times with intentionality because Peter had denied Jesus three times. Now he had three times to declare his love for Jesus. And then Jesus said, I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. You might read that and wonder, what is, what is he talking about? Verse 19, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. So Jesus was saying, Peter, you said you would die with me. You didn't but you actually will. You will pay the ultimate price for being my follower. Jesus was saying, following me will cost your life. And then at the end of this conversation, Jesus said the words Peter probably thought he would never hear again. It was just two short words, but filled with meaning to Peter, follow me. So the relationship began with Jesus saying, follow me. And now the relationship is restored with Jesus saying, follow me. Your relationship with God and purpose in life is based on Jesus, not you. How wonderful is that? The longer I live as a follower of Jesus and the more I learn, the more I get just a little taste of the immenseness of the grace and glory and wonder of God, the more I realize, oh my goodness, 
this is just all the work of Jesus. This is just completely, everything in my life that he has done is grace and mercy. Everything he's done. It wasn't my goodness of saying, yes, I'll follow. It wasn't any big steps of faith I took. It wasn't anything great Peter did. If it was about Peter, he'd be out. It's over. But it began the same and it's restored the same. Isn't that amazing? We need to remind ourselves sometimes because we do have a very project self-centered culture that we live in. And we are all the time taught to think mostly about us. So it makes sense that we would apply that to our spirituality, our walk with Jesus and think this thing is about me. Nope, it's about Jesus. He started it, he will finish it. So in the midst of failure, he is our restorer. And here's the encouragement today. Move past your failure and into your future with the restorer. He invites you into a bright future that still exists because it's his work and he is the restorer. You might today just need to decide to stop punishing yourself. You might just need to hear Jesus say friend to you. You might need to hear Jesus say, I'm inviting you to breakfast. I'm inviting you to relationship. You might need to understand that he is the restorer of your walk with him and your purpose in life. You know, a lot of times we can end up thinking that our sin and failure is too big and we can just never be restored. We can never be made new. It will never be like it was. But eventually we find out that instead of encountering an angry, correcting Jesus, we find a loving, accepting Jesus ready to forgive and restore. One of the most common stories I hear as a pastor, once someone has either come to the faith and really met the Lord or returned to the faith after a long time is with tears coming down their face, they say something like, I thought if I walked in a church, I'd be struck by lightning. I thought that I was not welcome. I thought that no one was gonna open their arms for me. There's no way I thought I actually had a seat at the table. And oftentimes with tears, they'll say, if only I knew this heart of God, if only I knew who this Jesus was, I would have returned a long time ago. You see, we're so prone to building up our own brokenness and sin so it seems insurmountable and making less and less of God. We need to make more and more of God, increase our view of God. He is so big and then it correctly frames all of our brokenness and failure. And guess what? The restorer is way more powerful than your failure. Way more. He is a way better savior than you are a sinner. You might think you're an awesome sinner. Join the club, first of all, but the savior is better. The savior is stronger. No matter how good we get at sinning, he's a better savior. That is the good news of the gospel. It's amazing, the story of restoration, forgiveness, and grace. Now, it's also important to note that as followers of Jesus, this is also how we are called to treat those who fall and fail. Paul said it this way in Galatians 6.1, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. And here's one of my favorite verses in scripture, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Wow. How do you fulfill the law of Christ? Perfect church attendance? No. Perfect giving record? No, but do it. <laughs> all important, good things, 
Somehow checking all the things off on your list, right? You just, you figure it all out. Is that how you fulfill the law of Christ? Praying a very special prayer? Nope. How? Carrying each other's burdens. What a shift on what God has actually called us to do as the church. Now, don't get me wrong. As we carry each other's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ, he leads us into righteousness and holiness and to walk in the way everlasting. He moves us away from sin and into the flourishing life that we are called to, but we fulfill the law by carrying each other's burdens. If you claim to be spiritual, forgiveness and restoration is your only option. If you don't respond that way to someone else's failure, you don't fulfill the law of Christ. In fact, you violate the law of God and you sin and demonstrate that you are not spiritual. This is why at Graceland Church, failures are welcome. I should say this way, failures are welcome here because failures are welcome with Jesus. We will not turn people away because of their many sins, their big sins, or their very public sins. This is easier said than done because sometimes we're offended by people's sin. Sometimes we're turned off by it. But Jesus says, hey, you were a sinner and you were welcome here. What are you talking about? Are you high and mighty now? What are we doing? I remember pastoring uh, and meeting a young man who was in a gay lifestyle. And I could tell he was hungry for something. He was hungry for God. And I started building a relationship with him and, and kind of trying to pre-disciple him. Then he disappeared for a while. I, don't, I didn't know what happened. We, we couldn't get through to him. He was gone for like six months. Happens a lot in ministry. People just ghost you. <laughs> I didn't know if he was ghosting me. I didn't know what was going on. He was gone for like six months. And then finally, he showed back up one day to a service, and he had lost a lot of weight, and he was already thin. He looked very sick, and he smelled like the hospital. I could tell he had been in the hospital. Turns out he got diagnosed with HIV, and he had been in the hospital for six months. I wish he would have reached out to me. I am so thankful that the first thing he did when he got out of the hospital was come to church and come together. May we be a church where people understand they're welcome here. He sat next to me that Sunday morning while we worshiped, and I'm telling you, I sat there with tears down my cheeks because what I know I heard was his soul crying out to God. This young man, hungry for life, hungry for his creator. I have been criticized my entire pastoral ministry. I've been criticized at some point or another for, for maybe even just like worshiping next to a guy like that. And as a pastor telling him, hey, this, you're here. Come, be, be a part of this family. You're, you're in, come and seek Jesus here. And, and I, I've just had to come to grips with, I'm okay being criticized for that. And it's a hill I'm willing to die on because Jesus was willing to die on that hill. If the, if the people that are in the brokenness of humanity are not able to seek the living God in his church, where do they do it? It's amazing when you see, well, and let me clarify. I was not affirming of this young man's lifestyle, but I'm not affirming of any of your lifestyles either because <laughs> I know you fall short. I'm not affirming of my own lifestyle. You get what I'm saying? Like we, in the church, 
May we get over ourselves and our categories and reach people. It is a messier work because there's no easy answer. Where's the, where does this conclude? Where does it go? I don't know. But let's welcome people the way we were welcomed, by the living God. This story ends so awesome because if you fast forward to the day of Pentecost, which is recorded in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit is poured out. This is gonna be the moment when the church is born. And one of the disciples stepped out and began to preach the sermon that started the first church, the sermon found in Acts chapter two. One of the disciples said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people became followers of Jesus. It's awesome. And the guy who preached that very first sermon was Peter, the exact same guy who denied Jesus three times. What a picture of the forgiveness and the grace of God. I believe that some of the people that God might call you to live your life next to, worship next to, tie yourself to, that might be living all kinds of wild lifestyles right now, they might be the next Peter. But like, who, who are we to say whatever God is gonna do with anyone? We're all failures. We all fall short. We all wrestle with sin. The whole story is Jesus. So it's open table. Everyone has a seat. At the table, they can come and they can seek the living God. And the good news, this goes for you. This is your invitation, again, to be reminded that the restorer is stronger than your failure. So move past the failure into your future. And the lesson is you can be forgiven and restored. I'm gonna invite Sue Stutz to come up. She's gonna share her testimony with us today. She texted me on Wednesday, this just this week, uh, randomly. And I put randomly in quotations because... It felt random to us, but it was something that we really believed that God was orchestrating. Uh, Sue leads a ministry we have here called Save One, and we haven't talked about it. It's the kind of ministry that you do a class, and then you break for a while, and then do another one. It's kind of organic how it works. Uh, I'll explain why that is in a minute, but we haven't talked about it in probably a year, and she texted me uh, randomly again this week uh, on the Sunday that I happened to be preaching about uh, restoration and said, Nathan, I really would love to share my testimony again. And because we have some people that are interested in another Save One class. And what Save One is, is it, it ministers and helps bring restoration and life and healing to people post-abortion. So once again, uh, we as a church and as fathers of Christ, we are against abortion. We are pro-birth and we are pro-life in every sense. But sometimes the church puts almost all its energy into fighting that fight and missing the fact that one in three women have had an abortion and Jesus has called us to love them, to be a part of their restoration. It's not just the women, the men get devastated. There's a bunch of people around that family unit that get devastated. And it's a sensitive thing that people feel a lot of shame about. And Sue has a testimony she's gonna share with us about her own restoration. Let's give Sue a hand. Thank you, Sue. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. As Nathan said, my name is Sue Stutz. I'm the chapter coordinator for Save One, and I'm on the leadership team for Celebrate Recovery here at the church, both incredible ministries. 
Um, some of you may have heard this testimony before, but it bears repeating after a bit of a hiatus and as we launch into our fourth Save One Bible study. The hiatus was in part due to COVID, but also because since our very first study, though it was scheduled twice more, no one signed up. As I sought God on this, he made it clear that he had some deeper healing he wanted to accomplish in me through Celebrate Recovery. That's a shameless plug. And that when that was completed, he would again bring those he desired to heal through Save One. I was contacted last week with interest in this study. I'm wearing this tiara because God reminds me frequently that I'm not defined by what I do or what I've done but by whose I am. And I love that we sang, I am a child of God this morning. According to his word, I'm a princess, a blood-bought child of the king, a pearl of great price, co-heir with Christ, more than a conqueror and part of the royal priesthood and a holy nation. And just like Peter, I'm redeemed, restored, and forgiven. So count yourselves lucky. For years, I've known that at some point I'd minister to those having experienced the effects of abortion, but didn't know how until February of 2019 when Jack and Sheila Harper, founders of Save One, came and spoke here at our church. After their presentation, Pastor Nathan said, if God is putting it on anyone's heart to start a chapter here at Graceland, see me after church. I thought immediately, that's me, that's me, and this is why. I had an abortion when I was 18. The years following were filled with emotional pain, depression, suicidal thoughts, and shame. I found myself circling the drain in a worldly lifestyle in an attempt to medicate and fix the wound that the abortion had left on my heart and in my mind, not knowing at the time that only God could heal me. When I was 21, I found myself experiencing a second unplanned pregnancy. The father hadn't suggested an abortion, but I made it clear that I would be having this baby and expected nothing from him. I'd been through abortion before and I would not be doing that again. Brad, who is now 34 years old, is the oldest of four children, three sons and a daughter. His father, Greg, and I have been married for 34 bliss-filled years. Anyone who's been married longer than six months knows that that's not true, but yes, hallelujah to the 34 years. <laughs> Marriage is work, good work, hard work, work that drives us to our knees before our Heavenly Father, but worth every drop of blood, sweat, and tears. God has shown me that Brad's birth was the beginning of the rest of the story, that his birth was the testimony that the generational sin of abortion was being broken. You see, my mother and her mother before her each had had an abortion. At the time of my mother's abortion, she and my father were on the verge of going on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ. So don't think that abortion doesn't take place within the walls of the church or in the Christian community. It does. As Nathan said, one in three women have had an abortion. We, the body of Christ, need to be the safe place for women experiencing an unplanned pregnancy, for women, men, and family members of abortion to come uh, and experience healing. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did? He welcomed the broken, the wounded, the prostitutes. Everyone that the religious people rejected, Jesus loved in a demonstrative way. May this be said of us. 
may this be said of us, that we love like Jesus did and still does. My parents divorced shortly after the abortion. I believe the brokenness from that event was the straw that broke the camel's back. This all goes much deeper, but my daughter Erin is who God referred to as my gift of healing as I went through a program similar to Save One in 1995. The depth of brokenness that comes with abortion and the ripple effects that it causes are unfathomable. But I'm here to tell you that God can heal it, wants to heal it, and has healed it all in me. I'm trusting him to use my healing to bring healing to others. And if my story can save one baby or one woman or one man or one family from the pain I experienced, then standing here humbly before you this morning telling my story is worth it. As so powerfully stated by a Save One graduate, my abortion is no longer a secret. It is a mighty tool in the hands of a mighty God. Now what do I need from you? If anyone feels the call of God to labor in intercession for me and for this group, please see me after. And if, if we don't connect right after, call me, text me. My number's right here. It's, it's all confidential. It's directly with me. Um, but we need the prayer coverage. God uses the issue of abortion to dig down deep and do a deep, deep work. I need the coverage. They need the coverage. Um, also, understand the confidential nature of this ministry. Consequently, I'm not telling you where the meeting's going to be. I will tell you when it's going to be. We're going to start April 15th at 930 in the morning. And anyone who does get in touch with me with interest, I will then uh, disclose the location. Um, and that will be that confidential meeting. Nobody here has to know. Okay. Um, so thank you for letting me share. And Sue, how long does one class go? 12 week thing. Uh, again, it's all confidential. That's why it doesn't come through the church at all. Um, thank you for sharing. Let's give her another hand. That, that's courageous and awesome thing to do. Let me invite the worship team to come back up. Um, that email that I read at the beginning of the message that someone had, had been through a failure sent to this pastor. Uh, this pastor friend of mine wrote a response, and this was part of it, and they got their permission to share this as well. And this is really representative of our, of our heart. This was someone who had gone through extreme failure in their church, and uh, he wrote this back to me, my family, and our church family will treat you as scripture instructs, gently and with love. We will welcome you as part of our family and love you as one of our own. We recognize that many of us have sin and mistakes in our past and rejoice in a savior who restores and a church family where loving restoration is practiced. You are welcome here. I am praying you fully realize the immenseness of his grace. So that's our heart. And may we be a church where secrets come out in the open. You know, there's a two-step process that God gives us about confessing failures and confessing sin. One, we confess to him. And we talk to him. And it's important to realize when we sin, when we fail, we hurt people, but we sin against God. We sin against God. And he calls us to confess that to him. But then he also calls us, and this is sometimes the harder part, to confess your sin one to another so you may be healed. And it doesn't mean you gotta tell me about it. You can if you want. It doesn't mean you have to tell whoever you might be sitting by, but there is this sense you must tell someone. And if you don't know, Secrets lose their power once you tell someone. 
and the healing process can actually begin. So don't hold the secret any longer. Don't hold the failures. Don't hold the sin. Let's get it out and bring it into the light with our great restorer, right? That's part of our job as a church. And then we bring more and more people into that. So we're going to sing. You guys can start. Let's sing um, this chorus and this bridge. Let's stand together, church. Let's just give thanks to God, church. We thank you that you are our restorer. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for healing. Listen, church, if you're the one out there that, that's saying, I need to be restored, I need to receive forgiveness, or maybe you're hearing the call for the first time, you just want to be a follower of Jesus, and you want to cry out to him, just pray in your heart with me, Lord, I need you. I hear your invitation to follow. I hear your invitation to breakfast, to sit down and to dine, and to build relationship and to commune. And right now I say yes. I say yes. I ask for forgiveness for where I've fallen short. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. I commit my whole life to you. Lead me in the way everlasting. Remind me that you, the restorer, are stronger than my failure. Remind me that you, the savior, are more powerful than all of my sin. Thank you for making me clean. Thank you that your mercies are brand new today for me. Help us to walk in it, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. Such a great salvation we're called into. Do you guys realize that? Such a great salvation. Um, if you are in restoration from failure or you'd like to talk and you don't know where to start, uh, or if you're a new follower of Jesus, if you're online too, uh, email us, hello at gracelandchurch.com. Hello at gracelandchurch.com. We want to pray with you, get to know you. We want to resource with you. We want to journey with you. Uh, I'm going to pray this benediction, then we'll be dismissed. With each unfolding seed, with every spring, he breathes the truth of his resurrection. As birdsong calls your hidden heart to sing, so may this season be his benediction to lift your love and bid your prayer take wing to thaw your frozen hope, to warm your mind. For hope and restoration and new life has come through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.